This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. And so tonight, we're going to show you some things in the Word of God, how to overcome financial crisis. And this is not teaching something for an offering for the church or anything like that at all. This is what God told me to teach the other day, and it's going to be really good to help you. And tonight, we're going to find out the secret of how to get out of Big Blue. Amen. Big Blue is where you don't want to live, but we've lived in Big Blue. And because we passed the Big Blue test, we can come to California and help you. But I want to show you some things out of the bookstore to start off with. And uh, this here is totally in line with what I'm going to be teaching. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. This is a Brother Hagen book that has some basic lessons. But really, these lessons are in as many books as other books back there. But chapter number one is about understanding the new birth. There's a lot of people that people lead them through a prayer of salvation. They say, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. But because they never taught the Bible what that actually means to be born again, they don't realize. They don't realize it wasn't just a good feeling. Oh, I just feel so good. I feel so good. It's a new change on the inside of a person where their spirit actually uh, turns from the nature of Satan to the nature of God. Where Jesus Christ actually is in their spirit, but they still have a head. And because their head is programmed by the world, until they understand what born again is, that they're new on the inside, that they've got to renew their mind, too many of them go back to the world because it wasn't just a feeling, it was a change on the inside. This teaches you about understanding the new birth. And then he's got chapter number two about learning to forget. Apostle Paul said, Philippians chapter three, he said, one thing I've learned, I forget my past. I'm reaching forward to the good things God has for me for my future. And so many Christians all the time keep thinking, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm a loser. I did wrong, I'm dumb, I wish I hadn't have done that. I keep doing the same things over and over and over and over again. As long as you live in that arena, Satan's going to have you as a captive. Amen. Then there's lots of other good chapters in there. But uh, as, as I teach, I think about this book here. Lots of these basic Christian things you need to know in your life to win. And that'll help you to come out of Big Blue. Man, I hope nobody ever has to live in Big Blue. I hope that we pass the test for all of you. But we want to teach you how to pass that test. And also, Melinda showed me these. I've been talking a lot about getting three to five cards and write, writing verses down and carrying your pocket. Well, Melinda's got these nice little things fixed up in the bookstore there. That was, comes with a pen. Uh, I don't know if that's a free gift. If you buy two, you get a pen. Or if you have to buy the pen and the thing, probably, probably I'd say that. She's a good businesswoman. And then, and then these little cards here, you carry them in your purse and in your pockets, and when God gives you little nuggets, write them down, verses, write them down. But anyway, that's, that, that's something that will help you, and that has helped me. But I, I'm ready to help you with the Word of God tonight to absolutely overcome the financial crisis of life, and I want to show you how to do that with the Word of God. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Amen. And by the way, uh, Pastor Dave has taught us so well where Paul was when he wrote this. Paul, Paul was in the, in the dungeon of a very, very serious, horrible prison when he wrote this. He wasn't in a good place. He was in a place that was far worse than Big Blue. But we kind of feel like Big Blue was our Philippians prison. <laughs> it was kind of our, our dungeon type place. But we'll tell you about that later. Mrs. Pastor actually said she wants. But Philippians 4, what I want to do out of Philippians 4, First of all, I want to look at two verses that I learned as a baby Christian, and they're still very, very, very quotable verses in my life that I use all the time. And I'm sure that if you've been, if you've been a Christian very long at all, I've been a serious Bible Christian, that these two verses, verse 13 and verse 19, we're going to look at Philippians 4, verse 13 and 19. I'm sure these are very familiar to you. I want to look at them today, and then we're going to look at, and see the context of why Paul put them in this part of his letter. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Say amen when you're there. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That includes getting victory over Big Blue. Amen. Verse 19, 
He closes this context of this particular part of his life by saying this, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But you have to pass the blue, the big blue test for that to happen. Amen. These are two great verses, but we're going to look at why they're here. And so anyway, I want to start off with verse 9. And I'm going to go through this and show you why we end up with verse 13 and verse 19 in this letter. Verse 9, Paul said this, Those things which you have both learned and received, how many know there's difference between hearing something and receiving it? Amen. You know, there's a lot of people go to Christian churches, they learn about tithing, but they don't receive it. If they received it, they tithe. There are a lot of people who go to church and learn about loving and turn the other cheek. If they received it, they practice it in everyday life. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? A lot of things Christians learn, but they don't receive it because they receive it, they do it. He says those things you both learned, received, and heard, and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. He says, and seen in me. God gives us spiritual leaders to be role models and patterns of how to apply the Word of God in everyday life. And, you know, I think about Paul. I was thinking about Paul for what things we're going to be talking about tonight. That in this, in this, in this letter right here, Paul, for where he was at in life, for no other reason than the fact that he was out there to turn people to Jesus and from Satan's kingdom, and everywhere he went, Satan harassed him. He sent religious people against him to persecute him. He sent sinners against him to persecute him. The whole purpose was, the last few Sunday nights, we taught about Mark chapter 4, the sower sowed the word, as Satan comes to stop the word from working. And so Paul was out there preaching and teaching the word of God to Jewish people, who they're no different than anybody else. They've got to be born again to go to heaven. God promised them the Messiah. The Messiah came, but they didn't receive him. John chapter 1 says he came to his own. His own received him not. And then he was coming, when he preached in the heathen cities, he was teaching them to turn from idols to God. And those money lovers, and those worshippers Diana, the sex goddess, and all those other things, they hated it. Because Paul was out there teaching Jesus Christ was the way to eternal life. Jesus Christ was answering all those problems. And so those people... Those people with those idols and the sex shows and all they were doing, they started losing money because their best customers were getting born again. So everywhere Paul was going, persecution came. And so this chapter here, I was thinking about Paul, the things he went through. He said, those things you have seen in me do. Paul was telling the people, I went through a lot of hard times, not because I'm a bad guy, but because Satan hates me. And so, cheer up to many of you. If you're going through persecutions, bad times, and things are happening, you're trying to figure out, what did I do wrong? You may be like Paul. You may be doing it right. You've got an unseen enemy. He's provoking He's provoking people, even Christian people, that aren't walking the love of God, even Christian people, to judge you and persecute you. Did you know that Christians can be influenced by the Holy Spirit or by demons? They still be good Christians and love Jesus, but if they don't know how to walk with God, they give place to the wrong spirit. And did you know that, that sinners can be nice people, but all of a sudden a demon spirit got on their head and lie to them about you and cause you trouble? And then you can either go to go, go under the covers and hide and say, How come they turned on me? She was my best friend. Well, that's my brother. We grew up together. We got the same dad and mom. Why has my brother been so mean to me all of a sudden? Well, we want to show you how to come through things in life. Paul said those things you have seen in me do. And so I think about the things, what he's saying there. We need to consider the older, mature Christians that have got some battle scars. You know, if you see us in the spirit, I'm talking about Christian leaders that have won battles. If you see us in the spirit, we've got a lot of wounds. If you want to find out what it is, 
to be under attack of the devil, just step out and be a Christian leader. If you saw us with our armor off, you'd see wounds, you'd see scars, but one thing you see, every one of them's healed. Amen. Every, every scar is just that's a scar, it's not an open wound. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not hiding under the covers crying. We did our crying already and found out it didn't work. Amen. We found out what did work. So Paul, Paul said, Paul said, those things you've seen in us do. And so we need to listen to the older, mature Christian men and women that have been through some battles and didn't quit, didn't give up. They've won. And so paraphrasing this, he said, he said, those things see me do. The God of peace shall be with you. If I'm going to paraphrase this and say it this way. If you want God's peace in good and not so good times, in good and not so good times, how do you know God's peace is there even if it's not good? And God's peace is there if it is good. And so if you want God's peace, Paul said, it's so good and not so good times, and pay attention to the old guys. Pay attention to the ones that have been that. You know, why should you make mistakes that we made if we could already tell you that's not a good place to go? That's a minefield. Step out of that, you're going to get hurt. Go to that road, trouble's coming. Why don't you listen and learn, and we'll show you how to come through crisis, because we've already been through them, and we've won. And so he said, those things that, that, that you've seen, he said, listen to the old guys, learn, receive, hear, and see what we do and what we did. And maybe, maybe, maybe you'll miss some of those things. Not all of them, because it's life, and you're in life every day. And so anyway, then look at verse 10. He says, but I rejoice to the Lord greatly. Now at the last, your care of me has flourished again, where you were also careful but you lacked opportunity. And he's talking about submissions given. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I want you to get to verse 11, though. And so he's talking about things he's going through. He says, not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned. I have learned. He said, I have learned. You know, uh, how many ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies? I started watching that back in the early 60s when it first came out. Well, how about old Jethro Bodine? He thought he was so smart, such a big guy, and he and he was what, 21 years old. He graduated, you said, from the fifth grade. Man, he might have thought in his own eyes he looked good because he finally graduated from the fifth grade. But man, you're not supposed to be six and a half foot tall, weigh 350 pounds, and still be in the fifth grade. Man, I want to graduate from the fifth grade when I'm supposed to graduate from the fifth grade. I don't want to keep going through that thing over and over and over and over again. How many? think it's so fun to keep on plunking that class, have to go through it again. Man, I'm so glad that I passed the love class years ago, learned how to forgive people no matter what they say, no matter how they treat me. I've already learned that love never fails. I'm not going to go down that road again, plunk that class. I'm going to walk in the love class. I already learned years ago the tithing class is a good class to walk in. I'm not going to flunk the tithing class. I like God to rebuke the devourer for me. Amen. And what, whatever, whatever class it is you're in, how do you know what class you're in? If you're going through a hard time and you're not learning how to pass that class, then you're still in the fifth grade. You know what that is? Uh, I heard Pastor Dave this morning talking about, you know, uh, God showing you how to, whatever he's talking about, being lost in the 500-mile race in Indianapolis and walking over Indianapolis. Well, I got one better than that. We got lost out of Dodger Stadium one night. We went to Dodger Stadium for one thing. I was just glad to make it through that thug neighborhood where we had to park our car and get to Dodger Stadium. And so we thought, man, we've, we've arrived. One day I made a wrong turn. I, I pulled in the parking lot of the real place. I always tried to find that parking lot. We finally got in the parking lot one night. Parked our car in the parking lot. And the ball game ends at whatever time it is. And it's still dark and lots of people. And we tried to figure out which one of these gates did we come out to get in here? Which way did we go when we got there? Because we got there, everybody moving fast and telling you if all the police had their... <laughs> we got our parking place. We come out, and there was about thousands of cars there. And she and I walked around. I know it was at least an hour. And by the time it got over with, let's turn those big parking lot lights out. We was out there still walking around. 
And it got down to just a very few cars, but man, we was out, we was out of gas. I mean, energy. <sighs> Where could it be? Well, there's some cars over there. And we walked over there. Oh no, we already, yeah, we already saw those cars. Walked around again, all the way around. There's some cars. Well, that's the same cars we saw a while ago. We kept on going around and around in circles, the same places. And finally, after ours was about the only car left, we finally found our car, totally dark. And that was as scared as the thug neighborhood, although it was in the ballpark, because we was the only ones there, and it was dark. <laughs> and so what I'm saying is this. If you're walking around in life, and all of a sudden you're that same place again, say, wait a minute. We've already done this. We've already been here. It's time. Time to get out of that grade. It's time to get out of that place in the parking lot and get in the light. Hey, man, get in the place where you can win in life. So if you've been walking around over and over again, and then, you know, like that definition of a fool, is keep doing the same thing over and over, thinking you'll get different results this time. Why do you keep on doing the same dumb thing, and then you're right back where you were five years ago, and think, what am I doing back here again? We want to show you how to not be back here again, but how to walk in victory. He said those things, learn, see, do. And then he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am. And that's not talking about California or uh, Nevada or Indiana, or not, not the state, but whatever condition life is right now. Whatever situation I'm in, I've learned therewith to be content. And so I want to say this, that... Uh, he said, I speak not respect of what? Faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. Faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. And so when things are financially tight, we don't ignore it. How can you use your faith to change it if you act like you're not having money problems? If they're about to turn your lights off, I tell you what's probably not going to work. You can say, I'm going to be like God. Let there be light. And Essence says, Let there be money. Amen. Faith does nice things, faith changes things. And so we weather the storm and use our faith to change where we are right now in financial things or anything else. And so we must use our faith. He says, I don't speak in respect to want. He said, no, I'm not going to allow want to stay in my life. He said, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not respect lack. I respect God. I respect his word. And lack can't stay in my life. He says, I have learned. And so we can be very serious Christians, but some things Jesus wants us to learn by experience. There's book learning, and there's life learning. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like King David at one point in time, he said in Psalms 37, verse 25, said, I've been young, now I'm old. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor seen seed begging bread. And then I think about the Apostle John. That led to all. In Third John, verse 1 and verse 2, it, it, that's in the Bible, not the Gospel John. He says this. It says, the elder John to my beloved Gaius. He says, the elder John. And then he says this, above all else, I want you to prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And so as, as, as the elder John, he said, I want you to prosper, but as your soul prospers. He says, it's got to be your spiritual life. You've got to get it together. The spiritual always determines the natural, good or bad. And so what Paul said right here, he said, those things you've seen in me, the older guy now, you do them. He says, as older guys... Not only know the word, but we know how to apply the word. We know how not to quit. You know the old saying, uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And so, you know, I think about also what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians. He talked about the fact, bid, that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace will get you through. We're going to talk about that anyway. In this verse right here, the 20th century translation, verse 11, uh, verse 10 says it this way. 20th century translation, I have learned to live independent of circumstances. I have learned to live independent of circumstances. My God is more than enough. God is bigger than lack. 
God is bigger than having not enough money to pay bills. God is bigger than getting laid off yet still having the same bills. God is bigger than something breaking down that I really need. God is bigger. He said, I've learned to live independent of circumstances. And so anyway, as I look at this, I'm thinking about Big Blue. And Mrs. Pastor, and I, as, and I, as well as some of you, have to always remember Big Blues in our life. we got to remember where we came from so we don't go back. we got to remember what we did to get out of Big Blue, to get to where we are. And Mrs. Pastor, you said you want to tell about Big Blue. I'll let you tell about Big Blue. I'll set it up as you're coming. Where's, where's that mic at? It's up here. Anyway, let, let me give them a history lesson before we got to Big Blue. Okay. Now, you know that Paul, Paul had great success in ministries a lot of times. He said before kings. He's in a lot of places. A lot of good things happened. Sometimes he was very popular piece of people, uh, where people loved him, talked good about him. The next thing you know, he was like Jesus. How do you know that with Jesus, Jesus healed the multitudes. And then when he got to the worst place in his life, the same multitudes that said, 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 blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord, said, crucify him, crucify him. They turned on him. And so people can either make you or break you. They can turn on you at any time. Or then the next breath, they'd be giving you claims that just really talk about what a great person you are. Well, back where we come from, we pioneered a great church. We were on TV twice a week. We influenced a big region where we are down there. I actually ministered to judges, to mayors, police chiefs, county sheriff, lots of people. I got to counsel and minister at high places. And then the bottom fell out. And so we went to having the most influential church in the area to Big Blue. So you want to tell them about Big Blue? Okay, so Big Blue was this huge blue building. That's why we called it Big Blue. It was about the size of this building. If you cut it in half, made this two-story, uh, there was the, the, that story, and then there was a full basement in it. This building was given to us by a couple who wanted to be in the ministry, never made it in the ministry, but they owned this building. So they gave this building to us. So you think, free church building, that's wonderful. Well, this building, <laughs> okay, this building, it's so hard to describe. Okay, it used to be a Nazarene church building back in the day. And in the basement, which was as big as this, had a big hallway, that were two hallways that ran down the middle of this basement. Tiny little rooms on each side because Nazarene churches, when in their Sunday school, they had like, First grade, second grade, they didn't have children's church like we do. Well, we have the children of lots of age groups, you know, in. So the, this couple that gave us this building wanted to have a ministry to the poor. So they allowed all kinds of people to live in the basement. Well, the all kinds of people that lived in the basement were eventually asked to leave by them, but they left all their junk in the basement. So you could walk down into the basement, and the basement flooded. So you could walk down into the basement, uh, dodging the water that was everywhere. And in these rooms were piles and piles and piles of people's stuff, soaking wet and moldy and smelly. Now, we didn't do much in the basement, but I remember one time, you know, you all know our son Joe. Joe was about, he was in the sixth grade, give or take, so he was probably about Ryland's age. So Joe was down in the basement horsing around. You know how kids do. They don't mind the muck and the mire. So he was down in the basement. And there happened to be a, a some kind of a saw or something down there that somebody had left. And one night he screamed bloody murder. And the only thing we could think, were you there that night? Oh, the only thing we could think of was, oh, my God, he cut his hand off or something, you know. So we're running down into the basement. Yeah, yeah, to put his hand back on. So we're running down in the basement. And as we're running down, Joe is running up. And he knocked me over. As I'm coming down, he knocked me over to get upstairs. He's about Ryland's age, okay, about Ryland's size. Well, kind of find out there was a bat down there. It was just a bat. You know what I mean? So he got scared and screaming, but it wasn't a baseball bat. He was screaming bloody murder. So anyway, 
Also, on the first floor at the end, of there was a big, huge sign. Pastor Dave and Katie actually got married, had the audacity to get married in this building. <laughs> it was free, right? <laughs> so at the end of the, there was a, there was a sanctuary. Then there was a fellowship area, blah, blah, blah. And in the very, very back, there was a parsonage. So when he talked about Big Blue this morning, Katie, I remembered your mother. Because back in the parsonage area, there was this big, big room. And it had carpet on the floor. And the people who had lived there had a little dog that pooped all over the carpet. So we're supposed to live in this place, okay? So Katie's precious mother, Brenda, who lives there with them now, comes. She helped me clean up that, get that carpet off the floor, you know, and this amidst the, yeah, it was glued to the floor. So we're scraping up dog poop and all kinds of stuff, getting this, you know, that's where we live. So anyway, um, we lived there. He went to work every day. All the other kids went to school, and I was left in that building with all the mold and the yuck. So it's a miracle I'm alive today because <laughs> I could be dead cut of mold in the lungs. You know what I'm saying? But we lived in this place. Um, I actually saw on Facebook the other day that they condemned this building. It's, it's, they finally condemned this building, so it's going to have to be torn down. But we lived there. But I'm going to back up. When we first went to Martinsville, we lived in northern Indiana, farm country and stuff like that. That's where the kids were all born. The Lord told us to move to southern Indiana. This was like a year before we pioneered joined the, we pioneered the church. Okay, we started it. We didn't have anybody help us. We didn't we we weren't a church plant where somebody sends you all kinds of money and all kinds of people to go with you. We started this church from scratch down in, in Indiana in southern Indiana. A year before we started that church, not knowing that the Lord was going to have us start that church he told us to move from northern Indiana to southern Indiana. So we moved to southern Indiana, and we rented this nasty trailer. I mean, when you're obeying God, sometimes you don't go to the loveliest of places. So we went and we rented this nasty trailer for $300 a month, which was $300 too much. This trailer must have been from the 1940s or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, where we lived up there. So we, so we moved down to this nasty trailer. It butted up against the woods in southern Indiana. So one day, I mean, it was the hottest summer of the year. There was no air conditioning in it. And we had uh, four little kids, you know, Josh, David, Anna, and Joe. And we lived in this nasty place. And um, one day, I opened up the kitchen sink to get something under it. And there was a freshly shed snake skin under there about that long. And I just shut the door. And I thought, well, glory to God. You know what I mean? And then one night, I was, this place was furnished. Ha, <laughs> ha. So I was, our stuff was in storage. So this tiny little bedroom that we lived in, we had this double bed, but you could hardly get around. There's like that much side on the other side of the bed, of, the, of each bed, you know, to get around it. So one night, a spring broke in that mattress and hit me right in the rear end. And it was a rusty spring, and it was like, you know, it was, this sucker was like that that long you know when i woke up in the morning there's this net i thought oh my god so those are some of the places that we have lived um part of a, you know obedience to move to southern indiana getting that you know living in that nasty trailer and stuff like that we only lived there nine months thank you jesus then we bought a place of our own and we ended up you know later on da 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 a lot happened between a and z but we ended up with this building being given to us when we left indiana we gave we gave that building away so, you know, we made zero money off of that building. It was given to us. We gave it away. So happy to sign that deed and get out of that place. But that's what Big Blue was like. Oh, we live. <laughs> now we live in Newberry Springs on 10 acres. We have a pistachio orchard, a two and a half acre lake. We have trees coming out of the blue coos and all this kind of stuff. And I put it, we named our, our farm Pleasant View Farm, and on the, on the front of it, it says Mark 10, 29, and 30. No man has left house, mothers, sisters, brothers, lands, da, 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 for my sake, and the gospel shall not receive now in this time lands, da, 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 da. So that's what that's for. Amen. And, and uh, you know, by, by the way, on the big blue thing, when, when God sends down, we started that started that place, my music minister one time told me he was going to go help a little church do a concert, wasn't enough one to come. I drove, at this long time before we lived, years before we lived there, I drove down that street and I saw that place. I thought, man, I wouldn't step that ugly building for anything. That's the ugly place I ever saw in my whole life. I didn't know a few years later I could be living in that stupid place. 
I thought, man, that place is dipped in ugly. Man, that place was ugly. Had the, the big blue building and then big blue privacy fence all around it. I was so glad that fence was there because I could hide my car in the back so nobody know I lived there. I slip in the gate and the little knot holes in the privacy fence. I just step outside, peek through the holes, look at the people, make sure nobody's looking at me. Oh, that was ugly. But praise God, we don't live in big blue anymore. We're in Newberry Springs. Thank you, Jesus. And so anyway, anyway, he said in verse 12, I know both how to be abased. And the Greek says that word abased means I know how to live humbly. I know how to abound. And the Greek says I know how to live in prosperity. We know how to live humbly. We know how to live in prosperity. He said everywhere and at all things. He said again, I am instructed. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And so who do you think instructed Paul? Who was his boss? Who did he serve? Jesus. Jesus instructed him to be able to live humbly, to be able to live in prosperity, because he didn't have the New Testament because he was a primary author of a lot of the New Testament. He was the one writing it as he lived. He wrote it. He wrote these letters as he followed Jesus. He wrote these letters as he experienced real life. He wrote these letters as he sometimes had to live humbly. He wrote these letters as sometimes he was living in the palace, as things were going well. He wrote these letters under a lot of circumstances, and he said, I'm instructed how to live whether it's going good or whether it's going horrible. And that's what I'm talking to you about. We can stand in front of you to teach you, to instruct you. We've learned in some very horrible conditions. We've learned, we've lived in good conditions. And we moved, to go down there and pioneer that, we moved off of an 80-acre farm. We didn't own it, we were renting. We moved off an 80-acre farm from a six-bedroom farmhouse that was the main house at the turn of the century for lots of farms and places around there. It was the, one of the primary rich-looking places in the county in, in days of yesteryear. We left that place to go down to that trailer. And you know why we went? We went because we were following Jesus. You know why we came to California? Because we were following Jesus. We lived in Big Blue because we were following Jesus to do what it's got to do to stay alive to get to the next phase. That's why we did the things that we did. I'm talking to you. And, you know, I just, man, I'm really a nice preacher. Man, I'm, 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 I'm dipped in nice. I guess I'm saying that in case we got some flaky millennials in here. In case we got people in here that have been raised a different generation than we were that thinks the world owes you a living. That thinks everybody else is supposed to take care of you. That people aren't fair. That life's not fair. They shouldn't do this to me. If Paul ever lived that way, he wouldn't have made it very far. If we lived that way because of people that kicked us when we were down, because we got mad at everybody, and we wanted, we wanted to watch, well, they don't have phone books anymore, I guess. I don't know. I haven't had a phone for years. So all we got is like, probably like you cell phones. But I remember, I remember back when the 1-800-SUE become popular, Every year we got our phone book. The biggest ad on there was a picture of some grinning lawyer. 1-800-SUE. You're in the parking lot. That old grandma bumps your bumper. And you want to sue old grandma and take all of her money because she scratched your little stupid bumper. You went to your doctor for help. And you got a bellyache, so you want to sue your doctor. Oh, that's another road. I won't go down that road. But I'm just telling you, in case you've been raised in a different generation where you don't take responsibility for life. Amen? The devil is a thief to come to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll use people. He'll use circumstances. He'll use you. But the main thing is, Paul said, I've been instructed, here's what to do. Amen. And so you know what? I trust the Bible. I trust Paul. 
I trust people like Dr. Barclay, Marilyn Hickey, Joyce Myers, whoever your favorite preacher is, doesn't make any difference. If you got, if you got people out there that are living the Christian life and they're teaching the Bible, I'm going to listen to what they got to say. Because they're not, they're not laying someplace whining down, kicked down, whining someplace, wanting somebody to pull them up. They're saying, I found out how to get up. And I found out how to stay up. And if I happen to get knocked down again, I know how to get back up again. I know what to do. And so he said, I've been instructed both before to be hungry, both to bound to suffer need. And then verse 13, he tells you what those instructions are. And now this is where we're getting down to you to show you how to get out of Big Blue if you're in Big Blue. Show you how to get to the next phase no matter where you are. He said, now this is the verse that we all like, but I'm going to tell you what it means. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, years ago, when I started learning the Bible, sitting under good Bible teachers, I always thought, why doesn't this thing say, I can do all things through Jesus which strengthen me? It doesn't say that. You can't do all things through Jesus which strengthen you. He does strengthen you. Christ is not his last name. Christ is the office he walked in. Christ comes from Messiah, means the anointed one. He said, I can do all things through the anointed one as his anointing. That is anointing, it's the anointing. Through the anointing which strengthens me. He said, I can do all things. I've been instructed to rely on the anointing, to protect the anointing, to guard the anointing in my life. And I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, is the best Bible definition of what the anointing is that I know of. How many like the Bible to define the Bible? How many like the Bible to tell you what the Bible really means? He said, I've learned in all these things, whether I'm in prison, whether I'm in the palace, whether I've been beaten, or whether they put my name on the front page of the paper, this is the greatest thing ever happened to this city. This preacher, he's a great man. And then the next time, he might be in jail and call him all kinds of names. He said, I've learned, no matter what's going on, I can do all things through the anointing of God, which gives me strength. And so Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27 says that it shall come to pass in that day, and this is prophesied 600 years before Jesus Christ came on the scene, shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The yoke, how many ever heard that? The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And so Satan is the one whether it's through people or circumstances that puts burdens and yokes on your life. Poverty is a yoke of bondage. It's a terrible thing to want to feed your babies and you don't have the money to do it. It's a terrible thing. One time, one time years ago, I made a mistake and I bought a new car. It turned out that was a lemon year. It was a really good car. And after I bought the new car, I got laid off my job. And when I got laid off, the motor, the transmission went bad on the car. Well, it turned out there were thousands and thousands and thousands of those cars across the land. That that was happening to those engines, those transmissions. There's a class action lawsuit against that company, the General Motors car. Now, I could get the car fixed for free because they had to because it was all their problem. But the bad thing about it, I didn't have money to make the car payment on the car. And so while it was sitting in my yard out there and I couldn't drive the car, I was laid off. And the bills went on. It's a terrible situation. It takes the anointing of God to get that spirit of poverty off of you, that lack off of you. That was the most horrible thing. I've never, I've never ever in my life ever got one welfare check or food stamp or anything, but my family was hungry. I went down to the welfare office of that town. And I applied, I applied for welfare and food stamps, whatever I could do. I was trying to get a job. I was trying to get help. And they said, well, do you own anything? Have you got a car? They said, yeah, I got a car. I said, what year is it? And the car was like two or three years old. So that car's worth X amount of money. You have to sell that car then first to use that money. I said, I can't sell the car. It's sitting in my yard. It's got a blown engine transmission. Try to get fixed. I said, well, I'm sorry. It shows you you're worth this much. 
And I said, I've paid taxes all my life. I've never got a food stamp or They could just give us something to help us. I'm sorry you don't qualify. Said, have you got your W-2s from last year? Well, you made all this money. You teamster truck driver. I said, yeah, I'm not making it now. I don't have a job. They said, well, sell the car. I said, nobody's going to buy the car. It won't run. No, I'm just saying, that's a yoke of bondage called poverty. That's called lack. It's called poverty. I don't judge people that got food stamps and welfare and all that kind of stuff. I never, I never had any, but I tried to get it, but I couldn't get it even. It was a terrible thing. I'm just saying this, that he says right here, in this New Testament time we live in, that that yoke and that bondage, that burden will be broken because of the anointing. The anointing of God will break poverty off your life. The anointing of God will take you through anything. Now, we came, we came through big blue. We came through a lot of times to get to where we are today. But anyway, the anointing, Paul said, I've learned, I've learned that no matter what my financial situation is, where I am in life, I can do all things because of the anointing of God on my life. He says, that's what I can do. And so anyway, the anointed God will destroy the spirit of poverty and lack on your life, but you've got to do your part. Always pay your tithe. Through all those times, we never missed a tithe. We always paid our tithe. No matter what came into our hands, man, if it was $10, God got a dollar. If I got, I was doing odd jobs, whatever I could do, I was doing, I'd sell pop bottles if I could find them. How many are of the generation members of the pop bottles? I don't know what they were in California and Indiana. You sell pop bottle. Oh, we're in California. You call them sodas. I forgot. But I'm still from back there. I still got Indiana in me. Back in the East Coast, soda's called pop. I can sell pop bottle for two cents a bottle. If I happen to find a glass milk jug, that's worth a quarter. And so we did what we could do to do what we had to do to be able to live whatever it took. But anyway, if, if I sold a dollar's worth of pop bottles, God got a dime. Because we have to do our part to come out of poverty. We got to do what we got to do to get to where we're going. So anyway, always pay your tithe, support missionaries and other things to get the gospel out. When you're putting money into the gospel, Psalms 35, 27 says, You shall rejoice and be glad to favor God's righteous cause. Say continually, let the Lord be magnified, has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Anyway, do what you know to do. And so I want you to look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and 27. Keep it in mind, we're talking about Philippians 4.13. By the way, let me just take a poll. How many people here ever quote Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Well, you're going to get a different look at that tonight. And you're going to see why you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. Amen. We're talking about the anointing. Removes the burdens and destroys the yoke. And in 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 20 and verse 27. It says, but you have an unction. And the center column for the Greek says the unction means anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. That's why Paul could say, I can do all things through the anointing. Because I know what to do. Because the anointing shows me all things. Verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him that abides in you. When you're born again, you get believer's anointing. The anointing that abides in you, you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things that is truth and is no lie, even as have taught you, you shall abide in him. And so the anointing of God will teach you what to do while you're going through these things. Now, let me tell you the difference, because, you know, I don't want to get too far out away from where we're ending up with this at. There's a difference between grace and anointing. You know, I'd, I'd say the majority of believers don't know the difference between grace and anointing. Well, as you look at different translations, when Paul talks, in all the letters, Paul talks about grace. He talks about grace, says, grace to you and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. Grace is enablement. Grace is favor. 
You know, a lot of your translations say grace is unmerited favor. Grace is the favor of God. The anointing is the power of God. You need favor when you're going through hard times. You need the power of God, the anointing, to get it off of you. One time the Lord gave me a definition of of, uh, the grace of God that's always helped me so much. It's just something out of my own life. When My family, there were six boys and one sister. And so I I had brothers and I was really the only nice guy of the bunch. God had a call in my life, even raised in a center family. I just always, I never wanted to hurt people or fight or just be a bad guy. But my brothers kind of took off after the uh, gangster side of my family, I guess I should say. My, fam- my family was had mafia members in it, bootleggers and all kinds of stuff. And the, the, that the family gatherings all was was people drinking beer and bragging about who they beat up that week. And I wanted to go to the Baptist church with Grandma. I, you know, I didn't want to be with a bad guy. I just always I just wanted to be around the... The other kind of stuff there. But anyway, it was the fighting guys. And so because I was a nice guy, the bullies liked to pick on me because I was the only sample who wouldn't fight. My brother beat them all up and I ran. So anyway, I had this one guy, this one guy that had been picking on me and beat me up. My older brother was the, was the really, he, he was the fighter, the really, I mean, they all were. But anyway, my brother found out that this guy had been giving me a rough time. And so he said, hey, he said, walk up the alley. And man, flip him off or something. Get him to come out there and I'll be hiding where he won't see me. And so my brother, my brother, I mean, he was really, he was really, a, he was really a tough fighter. My brother and I went up the alley there where this guy lived at. We lived, we, we lived in the hood, okay? And so, you know, everybody hung around the alleys. So went up the alley there and I just kind of walked back and forth past his backyard waiting for him to come out the door or something. They like come out like that. So, you know, I'm not going to say I flipped him off, but I did, you know, some of that. And so, like that, and I said something to him like that, and he thought, what's this little punk doing? He runs me. Why is he not running? Well, my brother was hiding right over here in the shadows where he couldn't see my brother. And so, when the guy came running out, and I didn't run, he thought he had me. Well, he got he got right up to me where he thought he was going to beat me up again, and my brother jumped out. And, man, he, he made mincemeat out of him. He took care of him that day. And so I forgot about that. And then years later, as a Bible teacher, the Lord said, that's the grace of God. He said, me telling you, I'll back you up and showing up to prove it. So my brother said, I'll back you up. It wasn't just words. He showed up and he proved it. And so that's the grace of God. When you're stepping out to do things you got to do, God didn't just tell you, I'll be with you. He shows up and he proves he's with you. And that's what I stood on when I came to California, because I did not know the lovely Valdez family, or Miss Cindy, the prayer lady, or any of the other lovely faces that were here when we came. I didn't know you. All I knew was God. And I knew when I showed up in California, it's got to be the grace of God that God's got to show up and back me up to prove it. So I got to California, stepping out into the unknown, because walking by faith is not by sight. And then God sent Mike and Betty and Melinda and all the rest of you beautiful people. We sent you here, but that was the grace of God. We got here, left all, got here, and the grace of God backed us up and showed us to prove it. And then the anointing of God, the anointing of God, as he said right here, showed us what to do. He taught us things, showed us things. And the anointing of God removed birds, destroyed yokes off this church that were here. So for you, I'm telling you, there's a difference between anointing and grace. You need grace. You need favor. You need God to back you up, but you need anointing to cause things to happen when he backs you up. Amen. You get what I'm saying? And so Paul, Paul said, I've learned that I can do all things through the anointing. One is anointing, which strengthens me. The anointing of God will remove the birds, destroy the yokes in your life. But you need the grace of God while you're going through things. You need favor. Is that helping anybody see what to do about crisis? Amen, amen, amen. And so he said the anointing, the anointing is what will help. Now go back, go back again to Philippians chapter 4. And so if we were going through all those different not pleasant times at Big Blue and the things we went through, the anointing of God showed us day by day what to do. As a matter of fact... We'd been in the ministry for years and years and years and years. We had, we were on TV twice a week. I told you that. And the mayor, police chief, 
county sheriff that actually all been to our church. We've been to dinner with them, just spent time with them. I remember walking into a Wendy's one day, and the, the chief superior court judge of our of our county was in there. I didn't even know he knew me. Walked in there, and Pastor Samples, because I sat in the back of his courtroom for a case that was going on, just sat back there to support people, went to my church, was going through a thing. And I kept walking through Wendy's. as a crowded time at lunchtime. He says, Pastor Samples, how did I do? You think I did okay? I thought, man, you're the head judge. What do you mean? Do I think you did okay? That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God, the favor of God for these county officials to respect us. And so, you know, I'm just saying that again to tell you about Paul. He said, I've learned how to be humble. I've learned how to prosper. I've learned how to live when everybody loves me. I've learned how to live when nobody loves me. He said that. So I said that to say this. Before we came to California, we went through such a rough season after all that wonderful preaching, all those thousands of lives that were blessed through our ministry out there for all those years, we couldn't even afford to buy a newspaper and look for a job. We went down to the library one day. This wasn't too far before we came to California. I'd been a very successful teacher's driver for years before I came into the ministry. I walked away from a great pension. At this point in time, I went ahead and took an early pitch and was getting a little bit of money. But then when this happened, I couldn't even get the picture because I was driving a truck part-time. And so things were so horrible. We was down at the library, and I told her, I said, man, I said, that's enough. We can't go down this road anymore. Let's look through the paper. And I found three Teamsters truck driving jobs in there for different companies that are, that are name brand national companies. And I said, well, I said, I, I said, I prayed all I know to pray because this went on for five years, this horrible period we were going through. I said, I don't know what else to do. Jesus knows I love him. I know I've got the call of God on my life. It's been proven. I said, I know I've got the grace of God to be a good Bible teacher and a pastor. I said, I've done it for all these years. But I said, I've got to take care of you. You're my wife. I had these children at home. I said, I've got to take care of my children. I said, I said, I, said, I can't do this anymore. The Bible says a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. I said, it's not that I don't want to work. I'm called a pastor, but nothing's opened up. I found these three teamsters jobs. And I thought I had her on the same page with me. I said, okay, tomorrow morning, I picked out the one I was going to call to get back in tears. So I'm going to call these people in the morning. And I said, I'm not running away from the ministry. I said, this went on for five years. I said, enough's enough. I said, we're living in big blue. And in my own opinion, the laughing stock of the whole town now, this is Samson with his eyes poked out. We used to be the giant killers. Now our eyes are poked out. We're living in big blue. And I know what I thought about Big Blue the first time I saw it, and I'm living in it now. And so, those teamsters' jobs, I was ready to go back to there. And I don't know if she did it there. It might have been the, I think maybe that night or the next morning, she said, don't you dare call them. Said, you're a man of God. Said, God called you to be a pastor. And said, I don't care what we look like to other people. I'm your help meet. I'm the one you got to listen to now. It was like that. And so with the fear of God, I didn't go back to Teamsters. I listened to the Holy Spirit in my heart, the anointing in my heart. Paul said, I can do all things through the anointing. John said in 1 John 2, the anointing will teach you. It'll show you all things. So in my heart, in my heart, I knew that she was right, and the only God told me, don't go back to Teamsters. God's got something for you. Wasn't long after that, we talked to our pastor, Dr. Barclay. We left Indianapolis, Indiana, and drove over for a day to Cincinnati, Ohio. That's a little over 100 miles over there to have lunch with Dr. Barclay and just bear our hearts with him. And Dr. Barclay, my pastor, it's a good thing to have a pastor, <laughs> It's a really good thing to have a pastor. You know, these old guys that got the battle scars, that's won some things. They've been kicked down, but didn't stay down. They've been knocked out, but didn't stay knocked out. We got up. Dr. Barclay, by the Holy Ghost, told us since that Ohio, God's not finished with you. He is finished with you in Indiana. He's not finished with you. God's got another assignment. 
for you. He was a military guy. He called an assignment. He said, God's got another assignment for you. God's got people that are waiting to hear you. He said, you've got to find out where. I was never, ever, ever willing to give up on where God had us at. He sent us to that city. But there's lots of cities God sent Paul to, too. Paul got beat up. He got whipped. He got knocked down. Paul just got up, says he shook the dust off his feet. He went to the next town. Well, I didn't know God had a next town. But the anointing told my wife. The anointing told me. And then the grace of God on my pastor's life, his enablement to be a pastor, told me what to do. So we're the ones that had to seek God and find out. And then God got us to California. But what I'm telling you for where you are, you've got to guard the anointing in your life. You have a believer's anointing. The Bible teaches different anointings. There's anointing to preach, which preachers have. There's anointing to do different things that God has you to do. But every born-again believer has an anointing. Has an anointing that will remove burdens, destroy yokes, and get you to the next place in life. Amen? That's how you make it through these hard times. But I want to finish this chapter now, verse 14 through 19, to get to our next favorite verse in Philippians 4, verse 19, about supplying our needs. And so he talks about going through these things. He says, notwithstanding, you've well done that you did communicate or share with me your natural things with my affliction. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, he's talking about his missionary journeys. In the beginning of my missionary life, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated or supported me as concerning giving and receiving that ye only. This is the key to God supplying all of your needs according to riches and glory. Giving and receiving. How many know that Jesus said, in Acts chapter, Acts chapter, uh, 16, not 16, Acts chapter 20, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You believers have got to get a hold of this. I'm not talking about the giving part. Our church is a giving church. You're all givers as far as I know. You're good givers. You've got to get your faith just as active for receiving as you do for giving. Don't be, I said I'm a nice preacher. I, I, I say nice words. Don't be a fool when the receiving part shows up so I wants to bless you. Oh, no, no, I can't get it. I can't take it. Oh, no, I can't take that. Giving and receiving. Receiving goes with giving. Somebody else giving to you is your receiving, but it's them giving so they can receive what they need. That's God's system of economics. It's called sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest. You don't get harvest unless you give. As somebody else needs a harvest and the one to give to you, why are you going to shut off their seed for their harvest? I got over that stupid false humility years ago. Somebody wants to bless me. I don't do the dumb stuff. Oh, are you sure? That's flesh. You know, I've learned... In my times of lack, the first thing I want to do is find somebody to give to. And no, my flesh is not sure. Because when I want to sow into somebody's life and I need that money probably more than they do, I'm really not sure. I am my flesh when I say, hey, man, hey, I just want to give this to you. Are you sure? I want to say, dog, okay, if you don't want it, I'll take it. I need it. And so I don't do that false, I don't do that false humility stuff anymore. I've learned that Paul said, I've learned how to get through these things. He said it's called giving and receiving. And so just kind of, you know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the root of your mind. He said, don't think like the world thinks. If somebody wants to bless you, don't be stupid. If you don't need it, then here's what I've learned also. Pastor Dave's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Chapter 9 says that he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And so I've asked the Lord sometimes when stuff cut to me. I said, Lord, since I don't really need this, this must be seed. Lord, you put this in my hands. You put this money in my hands. I'm doing fine 
who could I give this money to than Jesus? This is seed. And see, get rid of that false humility, man. Somebody gives you a car and you've already got a good car. Oh, no, I couldn't take that. Look around for your friend that doesn't have a car. And say, you know what? I don't need that extra refrigerator. But I know that people in my church could use a refrigerator. I know a couple my, in my church that, man, that old junker they're driving, this car is far better than what they got, so I must, I must be a conduit. This car is given to me so I can give it to them. Giving and receiving. So use your faith for your giving. Use your faith for your receiving also and believe you receive. He says, for even in Thessalonica, you sit once and again in my necessity. Now look at this. This is the heart of any Jesus preacher. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Tithes do not come to the preacher. Tithes come through the preacher to pray a blessing over you to give it to Jesus. Our we are is the middle man. We're like the teller at the bank. You bring your tithe into the storehouse. We make sure it gets to your account. And then Jesus records it. And then, when you want to make a withdrawal, you've got, you've got, you've got a PIN number for your account. Father, my PIN number is J-E-S-U-S. I come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask you to look at my account. If you're a God robber and you don't tithe, he looks at it. He says there's nothing in your account. If you go to your ATM or someplace else and you put nothing in, and it says no funds, no funds, no funds, just learn a spiritual lesson. Paul said, I've learned how to come through these things. He said, I've got fruit in my account because I'm a giver. And he said, I don't want your money, but I do want you to have fruit. I want you to have something to your account. So I get to verse 19, he said, so this promise will work for you. Amen. And so he says then, he says, I have all and abound. I'm full. Have received Papaditis, the things which were sent from you, says your giving is an odor of a sweet smell, an aroma of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So then we get down to why verse 19 is in here. He said, I've learned in verse 13, I can go through hard times or good times because of the anointing, but for you now, because you're giving it to me to support me taking the gospel to these other nations, these places I go, he says, that's a sweet smell. Your giving is a sweet smell to Jesus. He says, because of that, my God shall supply all of your need. Not according to your good job at the railroad. Not according to your good job at the school system. Not according to your good job at Walmart. Not according to your good job wherever you are. God says, he says, I'll supply you need according to what God has. God's the one that made all the silver. He made all the gold. God put all the oil into the ground. God put all the minerals that are out there. God made everything there is. And he said, because your giving is sweet to God in heaven. He said, my God, because you helped me take this gospel, these other places. He says, my God will supply all of your need. So I just want to leave that with you. We've learned how to overcome financial crisis. We're tithers. We're givers. Even if it doesn't look good. If we went from prosperity to absolute poverty, we praise God and give Him glory. No matter what we're going through, we don't whine, we don't crip, we don't play the blame game. We just say, we're going to make it through this thing in the name of Jesus. We have the anointing of God on our lives. We've got the grace of God. We've got favor. We've got God's power. And I'll tell you what, I do not like to go through a five-year storm. But guess what? If you follow Jesus... Stay tithing, stay giving, do what you know to do, you'll make a five-year storm. You'll come out on the other side, and then God may send you to California. Not as punishment, but as a ministry assignment. And so be open to whatever God wants to do. Always have this attitude I'm going to tell you about. My heart's desire is not to go to South America. 
My heart's desire is to preach the gospel in California. That's my heart's desire. I want to help people in California to know Jesus better. But when I got born again, I made a commitment to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I'll go anywhere. I'll be anything. I'll do anything you want me to do. Just please use me, Jesus. Please use me. And so I'm willing to do whatever he calls me to do. So keep that attitude. You be what God wants you to do. You go where he wants you to go. Keep on loving. Keep on forgiving. Keep on using faith. Keep on being faithful where you are. I promise you that you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. And God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and give the Lord praise. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.